I don't think I would use that title teaching anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, or the or the graphics. I picked the one that I thought would look kind of appropriate. So there, I, you guys on Zoom, just to catch you up, that's that's the title of the sermon tonight. Good to see all of you. Uh, here's really the rest of it, though. A potentially awkward introduction. I don't know why I chose that subtitle, but it sounded fun. So anyway, it was better than uh, being anxiety-ridden over it. I was kind of waiting a little bit because... Uh, I was hoping that Adam was going to be here. He was the one that was so excited about us tackling these topics. Okay, good. Well, well so I've got a couple of review slides. Uh, I don't see Richard online. They're still vacationing. So you guys can tell him that I do review whether he's here or not, so that'll help. Um, and it is an introduction. And so have mercy in light of that, and uh, we'll we'll see. What I hope to accomplish is to lay the entire case out in Scripture that we're going to be looking at. And um, I'm assuming this is going to go for another two weeks at least, because we're going to also need to touch not only on the issues surrounding the concepts of hell and the Scriptures and so on, we're going to have to touch on what judgment is. Uh, otherwise... Well, because the two go together, kind of. So anyway, there are some notes that, that you have that have all the scriptures and all the things I put up here. There's way, way, way too much information in these PowerPoints. I guarantee, you know, that's why I gave you the notes. But I, I want to start with a little bit of review. And some of you weren't here when we finished up. So I want a reminder of who is behind the age to come. Because when you think about judgment, when you think about the last days, when you think about hell, when you think about the future, all that stuff, it, 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 the topics, the imagery, the scriptures that speak to it, the variability, the different the, uh, passions that are stirred up in different ways about it, they are so enormous that it's pretty easy to lose touch, I think, with the fact that, the, that God is the centerpiece of the future, not anything subordinate to him. So... This was uh, the, one of the last two slides we looked at when we were going through that image-bearing thing. And if you remember, the, the symbol on the left is the one that we chose to represent that it was love that created. Symbol on the right uh, is that it was love and light and spirit and fire that redeemed. And so in the middle now is where we find ourselves. Jesus is the King of Kings and love is reigning from heaven. And he's got those other aspects. So what should we expect from the love who creates? Uh, well, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, meaning he was thinking about us while he was, the father was thinking about you while he was looking at Jesus, if that's an appropriate way to think about the divisions in the Trinity. I, I don't know if it is or not. Probably it's too divisive or it's too, I don't know, anthropomorphic, but nevertheless, we were made to be predestined, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? Okay. God created us not only with that as a beginning, but with being all in all in mind. We're going to look in review at this passage in 1 Corinthians. So he created with the end in mind. 
it wasn't just a random thing that he, you know, when Adam and Eve, uh, somehow the, the serpent snuck in there un, unknown and they fell and then God gets completely caught off guard and starts pulling his hair out to try to figure it out. It's not, that's not the way to think about it, I don't think. Uh, John seventeen twenty six, he loves us with the same love he loves his son with. And that was who the creator was. So again, Envision the Father and the Son, like it says in the beginning of the Gospel of John, that uh, in the beginning was uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, he, he was with, pros, face to face. So this relationship thing is at the beginning of creation, but it's also at the destiny, and it, it's the means and the in-between. And then, clearly stated in Scripture, in 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all to be saved and come to know the truth. Now, that doesn't automatically mean that's going to happen, but it automatically does mean that God's heart is toward people being saved. And so that we've got to acknowledge that. And then in Acts, uh, there in that section, it, it talks about uh, until the time appointed. Jesus has to remain in heaven until the time appointed for the reconciliation of all things. So the intent, at the least, is to reconcile all things. And there's an appointed time before things needed reconciling, I think, but I'm not 100% sure about that, but certainly before they are being reconciled. All right, and so then love came down and was sent again. And now this is what we have to do about the love that redeems. Yes, Ronnie? I have a question. I have a... It's just the intro. It's, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the review. <laughs> The last two on the left, First Timothy two four. Yes, we talk about being saved uh, through all, or want all to be saved, and then the last one has always pur- purposed to reconcile all things. What's the difference between being saved and being reconciled? Uh, well, saved would be in response. This is not trying to be a flippant answer. I would say that saved is in response to being lost. Uh, reconciled is in response to being out of sorts. So, for instance, in Romans, when it talks about creation's groaning for the revealing of the sons of God, I would say reconciliation. Now, maybe creation needs to be saved, but I don't know. Uh, sozo, the idea of being healed, uh, made whole, delivered, renewed, all the stuff that wraps around that saved concept. There are, uh, there are other things that I don't know that that would speak as directly to as the fact that they're somehow outside their created destiny and being brought back in. But I don't know. That's my best shot at it. Does that make any sense? I don't. I think they they overlap, but I don't know if they're synonymous. Do you have a thought? Okay. Well, I would say being saved uh, leads to being reconciled. And maybe being reconciled leads to being saved. I don't know. So you could think about like the, the, the prodigal son and his father. Was he saved or was he reconciled? In that sentence, it seemed like he was reconciled. That's how I would describe it. But maybe he was saved from the lifestyle or something. So I don't know. It's a good question. Okay, 1 John 4.16. What's our response? It's to know and believe the love 
God has for us. Now, we're going to talk about the, what the Scripture says about hell. And if there's ever a time that you want to keep in mind that He loves you when you're talking about hell and judgment, it's probably one of those times, I would think. Ephesians 3, 4-19 is to know the love that, of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That means that you don't have to understand everything about that love. You don't have to be able to explain all the details to appreciate it, to experience it, to reap the benefit of it. John 13.34 says that the simplicity of the whole mechanism of this redemptive process is just to love one another as he loved us. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of apostolic and biblical instruction is love. And so I would suggest that if I'm able to pull any kind of apostolic or biblical instruction about hell and judgment out of here, the goal of that would be that we would understand and love better. Now, I've never, I've never actually had anybody that felt like, or that I thought they were trying to teach me about hell to make me love better. <laughs> but uh, that probably is a legitimate goal. If it's, if it's in here. And then 1 John 4.17, love casts out fear and prepares us perfectly for judgment. Right? So that's a good thing, especially since we're looking at judgment and stuff like that. All right, so this gives us a context to begin our fresh look at judgment in hell. And it's this passage, keeping in mind that the Spirit is now here, right? Jesus is reigning now. This is all active. It's all present. It's all real. And this is the this is one of the most comprehensive statements about last things. And I, so I, I want us to keep it in mind. So I, that's why I put it up. I want to read it. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. And I think that means that God, his Father, is accepted who put all things in subjection to Jesus. That's what I think it means. But And then when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjects all things to him so that God may be all in all. So whatever we discover when we're looking at the Scriptures about hell, whatever we discover, it's going to be to the end of that last line down there that everything is subject to the Son. He subjects that to the Father, to God, and then God will be all in all. So no matter how bumpy the road gets between here and there, that's the goal. Okay? So now on to hell. What does the Bible reveal? All righty. So, like I said, what I want to do is I want to lay out the scope of what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. 
And so it's not super sexy or anything tonight, and I'm not going to be doing a lot of analysis uh, and stuff, but um, I want you to know that everything the Bible says about hell, we're going to look at. Everything. And we're probably going to look at some things the Bible doesn't say about hell, but that other people do. And so this is the kind of starting place for that. Let me explain what this is. Uh, if you do a search for the word hell uh, through both the Old and the New Testament, if you were to do one in a, in a strong print concordance, I would admire you because that would be a, long, a big search. But I, I have the ability to do one in my Bible program. And then I searched it out also in all these other translations. So let me show you what, what goes on. Kind of the king of the scriptures of, that speak about hell is the King James Version of the Bible. It, it's exceeded only by the message. The king of the hell uh, search. Yeah, the king, the king of the hell search. So the King James Version, and this is how this little graph reads. The King James Version has 31 references to hell in the Old Testament. And a search turns up 23 references to hell in the New Testament. Okay. The New King James scales that back a little bit, and it turns up 19 in the Old Testament, and it turns up 13 in the New Testament. And then I'm going to go down through the rest of these for, for a bit and show you, and then we're going to talk about some possible conclusions. So the New American Standard has zero references to hell in the Old Testament, and it has 13 references in the New Testament. The English Standard Version, also later than the King James, operating on some other stuff, uh, manuscripts and various other things, but that's not really the reason the King James says what it says, because the majority text would work the same way. But that has zero, and 14 has one more verse in Matthew that it quotes hell in. The Revised Standard, 0 and 13, back basically to the... And you'll see in a second where this number of 13 or 14 comes from. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible has 0 in the Old Testament and 10 in the New Testament. The NIV kind of appeals back to the ESV, and it has 0 in the Old Testament and 14 in the New. Now... There's four Bibles that I looked for. There's probably a couple of others, but uh, the ones that I took the time to search and had the ability to. And you'll recognize one is our buddy. The Young's Literal Translation has no uh, search results returned for a search for hell. Mm -hmm. The Complete Jewish Bible also has no search results for hell. Yeah, yeah, come on. Just a real quick question is before we move on. I know the New Testament has Tartarus and Gehenna in like four words. Is the only word in the Old Testament Sheol? No. Is there others? There are some others. There are some others. There's the word for Hades. But what's interesting as we study this more, which right. we won't get to tonight, there's, That's fine. I just there's a number of scriptures that have Sheol next to a word called death, Mavah, next to a word uh, Bora called the pit. And so there's, yeah, there's, there's more concepts about afterlife 
but um, but Sheol is the is the big dominant one. I'll talk about that a little bit. You guys are good, Dave. That's good. So that's interesting. Wow, it shows you how intrinsically linked in in the thought it is, even though the word isn't in there. It interpreted it in the search. Well, no, I mean, there, like when you when you search for you can search for phrases and get relative results out of like the blue letter Bible and various things like that. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. I understand. It's okay. We're we're not ready to chop anybody's head off yet. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up. That's cool. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the word hell does not show up in Young's literal. Matter of fact, I'm 100% sure, unless it be like in a footnote or something like that that isn't searched. Uh, and it, it looks like the complete Jewish Bible is going to be sticking to the, the show and path. Uh, but that would be for a New Testament as well. And then this is uh, the Bible in basic English is that one. And then the World English Bible. So those are the four that I found that were zero listings for hell. And then Philip's uh, New Testament has four and it's an interesting one. The reason I just put it up there is just funny. If you ever look it up, there's a verse. Remember where that guy, the magician, Elimus maybe, uh, asked Peter if he could pay him for the power? Simon, Simon. Asked Peter if he could pay him for the thing. Well, Phillips translated that, take your money and go to hell. <laughs> so that's why it had that went in there. It was pretty fun. Weist, okay, so this special purpose Bible, Weist is a, uh, a Greek study, uh, New Testament that he uses all kinds of different sort of words. Uh, it has none in the Old, because it's not an Old Testament, but he has 12 in the New Testament. The New Living, I don't know the background to that too much. Uh, I think the New Living is some kind of a build off the Living Bible, uh, and something else. But anyway, it has one verse. Uh, in hell, that has the word hell in it back in a discussion with one of Job's friends. And then it's got 16 in the new. The easy to read version has 16. The amplified, now the amplified does what I thought you were saying that the Bible, the one does. It uses the word like Gehenna in the New Testament and then it puts hell in one of its brackets. So, you know, how the amplified stretches it all out. So the amplified's got 13. And then the message, and this was kind of a bummer to me, frankly. Uh, <laughs> it's the most hellish Bible that there is, you know. And I, I, I love, uh, I love the guy that did that. Uh, anyway, there's 33 hells uh, listed in the Old Testament, 21 in the New. And then this is an interesting one for those of you that are nerds and have access to it. This is the Word Study New Testament, and uh, it it has them all in there, and so. It gives little definitions alongside, and that's why there's 23, so many, because all of the places that it might be hell, it lists as a hell a possibility as a translation. So, but, okay, so that's just a curiosity. What can we draw from that? Um, well, one, even with the instance Dave brought up as he did the search, there's systematic forces, and I'm not saying they're good, bad, or indifferent, but there's systematic forces that link all these words to hell. Now, are these words hell? Do they, is there a Greek word, for instance, or is there a Hebrew word for hell? And we're going to have to decide that. 
uh, and, and you probably know that I'm a little bit biased. I've looked at this a couple times before. I don't think hell is the best word to try to understand what we're talking about when we talk about Scripture. Nor do I think that the words in the New Testament that are translated hell, and there's really only um, three of them. I thought there was four. Uh, but then there's other words that speak and they get lumped into this, like outer darkness, the tormentors, the lake of fire. And we're going to look at all those. We're just not going to go to them tonight because um, you'll be more than ready for me to quit by the time I get done with a couple of these other lists. So I wanted to start with with the Old Testament situation, but one of the things that I keep experiencing when I learn stuff, when I teach stuff, when I talk to people about stuff, including you guys, but, but you guys are great about it, but even with other people, one of the functions of, of taking a fresh look at the Scripture and, and loving the Scripture and being honest to the language, or, or trying to be, is that it creates permission to think about something without feeling like you're violating orthodoxy or something like that. And the feeling of violating orthodoxy or be, you know, coming under the accusation of being a heretic it can happen just because you don't believe something that a guy with 12 friends believes or a hundred friends or because it's something he read in a commentary or listened to on YouTube, you know. And, it, and so orthodoxy is, heresy is not something that, that, that you do when somebody disagrees with you. <laughs> it's more substantial than that. And it, a lot of it does go back to the scripture. Now, I think it makes a difference in the scripture. I think that it, it's, it gives us permission to inquire more deeply without feeling like we're violating something or becoming heretical when you just look at the fact that there's 31 Old Testament references in the King James and none in the New American Standard. Why? Well, there's an answer to that. Or that there's 23 New Testament references to hell that you can find, and there's only 13 in the New American Standard. And I'm not holding the New American Standard up as a different standard because the truth of the matter is there's none in Young's Literal. And the reason is because for some reason, various translator or translator groups or Bible translation groups, they apply different standards, obviously, to the words that are translated hell. So, for instance, in the New American Standard, almost universally, the word Sheol is just um, transliterated. It's just spelled out Sheol. And the other words, another one is Abaddon, the, the place of destruction. And then there's one called Bol, 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 which is a pit. And so it's, it's going to be a fascinating study, and we're going to look at some of those. But... Uh, but none of those get translated, for instance, in any of those Bibles except those four. The King James, the New King James, the Message, and the New Living. There aren't any hell words. I mean, there, hell is not translated into the Old Testament in any of those other Bibles. Now, it doesn't mean that it, it may not be talked about or what we think about hell is, but that's what we have to decide. Now, what's interesting, and I'll show you this next, the next thing gets kind of into the weeds, but... Uh, what can we infer from that? 
we can infer that men and women who love God have a right to go in and study this stuff out and see what you believe. And it might even get to be where you and I believe something different. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's okay. And, and of all the topics where that's not okay, hell and judgment are those topics. Because people are enormously threatened when somebody disagrees with what you think. Yes, Ron. You have asterisks and a parenthetical notes up there that I cannot understand from okay. just reading it. So that little note thing there, that the, the single yellow asterisk, is that hell is only in the Old Testament in four out of the 18 examples here. So King James, New King James, New Living and Message. Okay. okay. And then the other four out of these 18, that's that middle column, don't have hell in it at all. That's all it means. It was mostly a trigger to help me remember something. All right, ready for this next one? This is way too big. Oh, no, this one isn't too bad. All right, so now we're going to talk about a word that's never by anybody translated as hell in the Old Testament. You will never find this word or this group of words translated as hell in the Old Testament. Okay, it's, it's the idea of the Valley of Hinnom. It's uh, Hinnom, Old Testament, 2011. All these scriptures come out of the King James. There's uh, 13 of them. So let me read each one of them to you. Uh, and, and read them with me. And they're in your notes too. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now this is an interesting. I italicized that phrase because there's some times when it's talking about the son of Hinnom and there's times when it's talking about just the valley of Hinnom or the valley of the son of Hinnom. So you'll notice as it goes through. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, Hinnom unto the south side of the Jebusite, the same as Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants, northward. Now, obviously, and I don't know what that scripture means. I didn't take time to say that. But what that it, it, it's giving location, right? It's giving uh, uh, references. What do you call those things? They're not references. They're called landmarks. Yeah, it's, it's, so it, it's identifying a place on a map next to the city of Jerusalem. Okay? So that's the Valley of Hinnom and the Valley of... The Valley of the Son of Hinnom and the Valley of Hinnom. So see how that goes. Uh, The next one, Joshua 18, has something similar. And the border came down to the end of the mountain that lieth before the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, and which is in the Valley of the Giants on the north, and descended to the Valley of Hinnom, to the side of the Jebusi on the south, and descended to En-Rogel. Okay? Now, what's the point of that scripture? Well, there was a point that is being written. It's probably something about where Joshua was talking about the formations or doing something. I don't know. But it's a place, right? It's a landmark. And it marks out a place, and the people that were listening to it recognized it, probably. Right? And if I knew what I was talking about with Israel or something, uh, if Ronnie remembered when he was over there. Yeah, property lines. You know, something. Okay, anyway. Second Kings. And he defiled... Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. Now, to tell you the truth, I was working like crazy to try to exhaustively find all the scriptures, so I have no idea what the story is there. I don't remember it. I do remember that he went in and tore down this place so that people wouldn't uh, cause their children to pass through the fire, whatever that means. It's horrible. God talks about it a little bit more. But again, which is in a place, a geographic place. Okay? 
Second Chronicles 28. Moreover, he burns incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Again, I don't remember who he is. And we can study that some later, but that's not the point tonight. The point is, is that something took place in the valley of Hinnom and he burnt his children there in the fire. And I don't know if that meant that he killed them in that kind of a fire sacrifice or if he just burned them, whatever. It was gross. And the Lord didn't think it was that great. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So this is about an event, about some ungodly events, some idolatrous events that took place in a, in a specific place. And that specific place was the Valley of the Son of Him. Okay, uh, Nehemiah. Zenoah, Adullam, and their villages at Lachish, and the field thereas, thereof at Azekah, and the villages thereof, they dwelt from Beersheba unto the Valley of Hinnom. Again, a property border or a boundary, a reference point a physical place that people knew and could mark off stuff. Jeremiah 7.31 And they have built the high places of Topet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. That is a fascinating verse. The Lord said, I never, not only did I not say do that, I never even imagined you doing that. I don't know what that says about God's Sovereignty. But anyway, the place of this was the valley of the son of Hinnom that they did this thing that God did not command them to do and that he never had in his heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there will be no place. So something's coming down relative to judgment there. And then Jeremiah 19, and go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. All right, again, it's a location, and there was a there was a prophetic significance to that. And then there's two more. Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Topher. Uh No. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a repeat of that previous one. Nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I don't know where that turns up later than that. I have to study that out now that I've discovered it. Anyway, the last one. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom. So I don't know what this Tophet place was or what that was supposed to represent. I don't know what those sacrifices ideally were not, but they were certainly not from God and they were not about God. And now we have in this same place the valley of the son of Hinnom. We have uh, idols to Baal, or, or altars to Baal, high places to Baal, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire into Molech, which I commanded them. Maybe Topheth and Bolek are named for the same God, I don't know. But anyway, uh, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. All right? So, some pretty cheery scriptures. Uh, no Bible that I know of translates any of these words, or particularly the Hinnom, as hell. That's the point, a point. Okay? Does that make sense? I mean, this is what it says. 
And it comes with those different modifiers, the valley over the sun. Okay. Here's another Old Testament word, uh, Sheol. And Dave gave us an example of that one. So there are 66 uses of the word Sheol in the Old Testament. Of those 66, 31 in the King James are translated the grave. And 31 are translated hell. And then there's four more that are translated something else we'll get to in a second. Now, do you remember that in the King James, I don't want to go all the way back there. In the King James, it has something like 31 or 32 uh, references to hell. All right, so this is King James doing the search. All these versions of the grave are in there, and they're translated grave, but it's the word Sheol. Okay? Now here, all of these are translated hell, but it's the same word Sheol. Now, you guys know that it bugs me when things get translated differently and there's no apparent reason. And you can always go, yeah, but there was context, or yeah, but there was this. 90, I don't know how to guess it. I'm going to say 95 times out of 100, when that happens, it's because there's theological expectation or influence on the translation. And keep in mind that none of these are translated hell in anything except the King James Bible, the New King James Bible, the New Living Bible, and the Message. Okay? None of them are. So, if we were to go back, which we don't have time to do tonight, if we were to go back and read a bunch of these, and you would say, hmm, obviously it could say Sheol, like it does in the, in the NAS. But could it also say grave? You're going to find that a whole bunch of these passages have a whole lot more normal meaning because it talks about the grave. And there's a couple, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I highlighted that one. So, Ronnie, the two little side things, the, the uh, pound sign and that, is just a note that I'm going to read that one to you guys as an example. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything else, really. All right, so anyway, but but these are here. Now, the fact that you can buy a Bible or be given one, or dig one up out of antiquity in your family's archives that has hell 31 times for the word shoal. What if you take that Bible and you lay it here on the coffee table and you lay the New American Standard here on the coffee table? How do you determine what's, which is which? I'm here to say that the evidence for the word hell as we understand it, a, a, a burning place where you're trapped there and you're on fire and you're tormented for being bad. I'm saying that we don't have to worry about that as a concept in the Old Testament. And next week, I'm going to have to take some time and try to talk about the Jewish schools of thought on that, on Shoal, and they have them, and they had them when Jesus was there. And they're not the same image that we generally carry in the Western church of eternally being sustained and tortured for punishment. That's not what Shoal is about. 
in, in Jewish thought. And so that Jewish thought, and I'm going to do my best to try to dig it out and, and explain what people were likely to hear when Jesus talked about Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, the place that was mentioned those, what, 13 times or whatever it is, and never referred to as hell. It was referred to a place of horrible things, a place in, you know. So we're going to try to talk about that. But let me look at the Proverbs one. When I was looking through these and reviewing them, and I got through a lot of them, I go, oh my gosh, it was another one of those situations where the Bible is so freaking beautiful, <laughs> even in the hardest of topics. Let me see if I got this right. Proverbs 27, 20. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. So Abaddon is the destroyer or a place of the destroyer. Sheol is most of the time, if not 100% of the time in the Old Testament, the grave or a concept very, very closely associated with the grave. Another way that it's talked about, like in New American Standard, when you go through all of these verses, it'll say Sheol and there'll be a footnote by it. And most of the time it says the netherworld. Sometimes it will say the grave. And then there's a bunch of these that are translated uh, in the Septuagint get translated Hades. And I, I they, you can't translate it hell in the Septuagint because there's no Greek word for hell. It's a, it's a word that came after that. It's a different language structure and everything. So, um, Anyway, that's one. And then the other one is, I think, back in the Song of Solomon. You guys see a Song of Solomon there? Nope. Hmm. Oh, yeah, there it is. Song of Solomon 8.6. This is kind of a familiar. I, I mean, uh, the guys back in Kansas City made a song out of it. Uh, Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as Sheol. See the comparison? As severe as Sheol. Anyway, it's interesting. And it, that's, it says the same thing there. Um, all right, so then there's this. There's four more instances uh, th this is uh, translated the pit. These are all Sheol, same exact word. In Numbers, they're in Job. And then in Isaiah, it's one of the weirdest translations ever. It's uh, ask it, and it, that's part of the word. Anyway, the whole phrase, ask as it is in the depth, is kind of a weird weird one. So I don't, know, I don't really understand the translation thought behind that. But that's the word Sheol in the Old Testament. That's all the instances of it. This is a search in the Englishman's Concordance. And uh, so just to back up and look again, there's 31 instances where in the King James it's translated grave. 100% of those in, for instance, the New American Standard or the ESV is translated Sheol. And then, um, oop, wrong one. And then there's that 31 in the King James is translated hell. Those are all also translated or transliterated Sheol. And then these are mostly translated Sheol. I don't know about the Isaiah 7 one. Yes, Ronnie? 
this hopefully is just a clarifying question. So you searched for the literal letters H-E-L-L. -L. Correct. No. I did do that, and I, I did that and got that first chart. Then I identified the words that were available that had been translated hell. Sheol was one of the prominent ones. And I did a search in an Englishman's where every instance of Sheol came up. And I discovered that in the King James, uh, 31 of those instances was translated grave. 31 was translated hell. Four were trans three were translated pit, and one was translated by that strange place in the King James. So I'm um, now more confused. Let me tell you what I thought I was going to say, or what I was planning on saying. You tell me where it's not quite right. Okay. I thought that you searched for hell and the word H E L L, and then the result, you took those scriptures and brought it to Strong's Concordance and found that the word that was translated hell was based on number 60 or 7585 66 times that's not exactly what you did no uh the number no the number uh 7585 sheol i found that that was translated hell some so then i did a it's called an englishman's search instead of starting with the english word i started with that number 7585 and the hebrew word sheol and then the Hebrew word Sheol was translated four different ways. 31 hell, 31 grave, 3 pit, 4. So, if I want, this is the thing about permission. If I want, or you want, to consider that one of the words that's translated hell in your Bible might in fact be logically or permissibly translated into another word, you would be acting with the same freedom that the King James translators were. Now, that might not feel comfortable for you, but there no, there's not an ecclesiastic rule that forbids that. And I'm not saying that we should just be willy-nilly random. And, and there's one more that we're going to get to, I think, maybe. But anyway, that's what I'm permission to look and, and study. Why did they choose hell 31 times and not 35 times? Why did they choose grave 31 times and not grave other times? Are there any scriptures where if you were looking at it, the meaning would be just as clear or more clear about grave? There is, there is one. Let me go back. Okay. Well, I, I think, I, oh, I've got one right here. Duh. I forgot what I put on there. This is a super famous scripture. If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Right? You all know that scripture. Everybody quotes it. Why'd they choose hell here? Okay? I don't know. I think it was a mistake. I'm meaning, I think, that it, I think that the King James translators went against their own translation tendency here. And I'll explain why. It's the reason I included the whole scripture. Let me read it all. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, what? Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Here's what I think. I think that one slipped through the editorial committee and it should have been 32 and 30. Because the gist of the theological thinking that drove the translation of Sheol as hell 31 times didn't fit very well here. Because the concept of hell that, that was, was coming at them in, in those days, the 1500, you know, had already been around 100 or 200 years that it was a place where you went and you burned and you didn't get out and God wasn't there and blah, blah, blah. But right there, I bet you there's some old geezer that got in trouble. You know, one of the monk guys got in trouble when they reviewed that, but it was already too late. That should have been grave. <laughs> yes, Dan, sorry. Well, I agree with you that hell is a terrible or typically not a good use. I would say that the grave is just as often not a good use because Sheol is a bigger concept. It is, and that's it's I not think, a dirt yeah, nap. That's why a lot like the ESV and the NAS, yeah. I think, start transliterating. And that, because no. it's an entire concept itself. It doesn't just mean you're dead. It doesn't mean you're in the ground. It means there's a place awaiting, mm -hmm. at least in some Jewish culture, where you either are going to Again, Eden or onto having some purifications. Yep, so exactly. It kind, so there's an aspect where it's sort of hellish, sort of purgatory, sort of the great. So there is no exactly, good, exactly, no yeah. good English translation. Right, and that's my point. So now, my other point though is that it's a real concept. There's really something going on, and we don't need to be afraid of it. Why? Because it's going on at the behest of and under the authority of the one who is spirit, fire, light, love, and love. Now, that doesn't mean it's not frightening. It doesn't mean that it might not turn you into a smoky pile of ashes. I don't know. We're going to get there, and, and you're going to be able to make some choices. But what I'm saying is, see what I'm saying? It, it, it's We're not being disrespectful to the Scripture by looking at it at this step. And we're not qualified to do it from a linguistic standpoint. Most of us in here aren't probably. But I know I'm not. But that's not what the point of this is. The point is to understand and to, to honor and be able to worship the God who is in charge of all that. So, yeah, you're right. It's, I, I mean, I don't even have a bone to pick with them. They had to put something in there. But, you know, and, and so anyway, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's not very much evidence that we can draw a lot of conclusions about hell from the Old Testament. So, thank God, because there was a bunch of scriptures there, and I didn't want to have to exegete them all over the next six months. So, praise God. <laughs> Sheol is translated 31 times as grave, 31 times as hell, three times as a pit, and one time is ask it in the depths. Therefore, we can just lean heavily on one of the more modern translations that faced that problem and said, we'll just go shield. <laughs> we'll just go shield. Now remember, so if they, if they had just like the New American Standard and, and like the Revised Standard and, and all these others, a whole bunch of them up there, um, there is no mention of hell in the Old Testament. And there's no translation of the Valley of Hinnom as hell in the Old Testament. So that sets a bit of a precedent of 
non-activity around that. All right, now we got to touch base here. <clears throat> Doing a word search for the word hell in the New Testament in the King James. Okay, turns up 23 verses. Um, Matthew 5.2, But I say to you that, what, uh, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell. And that is New Testament number 1067, which is Gina. It's a derivative of Gehenna, a derivative of the Hebrew word Hennem. Okay? So there are 12 instances out of the 23, that's more than half, that are related, directly translated from the word Gina. All right? And Jesus is speaking about most of them. So there's Matthew, that one. Then the next one down, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from me, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into Gehenna, hell. Matthew 5.30, that if your right hand offends you, cut it off. You guys get the gist of these, right? And cast from it, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell, which is Gehenna. Matthew 10.28, and fear not them which kill the body. This is a powerful scripture. We're going to look at it in some depth. Fear not them which will kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Most people that I know think that fear him refers to the one Jesus, just two verses or so later, says, don't be afraid of your father. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to have to look at that. That's a tough one. I mean, you know, it deserves to be looked at, but it's Gehenna. It's Gehenna. Okay, next one. Uh, 18, 19. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it from It's better. Now, Jesus was speaking this to some Jewish people who understood or had at least some meaning attached to the word Gehenna, Valley of Him. We have to figure out what that is and decide if it's appropriate for a German theologian 700 years later to pull down a German word that came from the Vikings and the Dutch and wholesale translate Gehenna that way every time. In other words, when you were reading this verse to a Germanic or a barbarian or a Viking, were they going to think what the Jew was thinking when Jesus was teaching it about the word Gehenna? And I don't think so. Uh, okay, Matthew, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte and when he is made, you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourself. A child of hell. What sort of children does Gehenna produce? I don't know. We'll have to see. Would it have any possible thing, since he was talking to scribes and Pharisees, would it have any possible thing to do with the history of Gehenna and people passing their children through the fire? I don't know. But I don't think we're smart to just blow it off without thinking about it. Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Or Gehenna? Or whatever. Mark 9, 43. Is the hand offends you, cut it off, better in your life, maim the two hands going to hell. Oh, this is where the fire that will never be quenched. Again, Mark 9, 45. Thy foot cuts, offends you, cut it off, Gehenna. Mark 9, 47. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Uh, better to enter the kingdom than to be cast into hell of fire. 
And then fire gets associated with Gehenna, and fire gets associated with the concept of hell in these verses very strongly. To the point that most people's image of hell is the lake of fire. But in the King James, hell gets thrown into the lake of fire. So it must be something different. Okay, anyway. Uh, Luke 12, I will forewarn you, uh, fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Fear him. So again, we have to make a decision. Who's Jesus talking about? Who's he warning about? And then James 3, 6, as the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and set on fire the course of nature, and it set on fire the fire of hell. The tongue sets on fire the fire of hell. Organa. Don't pretend that that's clear. <laughs> what it means. Because <laughs> it's not. Not when you associate it with the general concept of hell and so on. All right. So that was, uh, what, it, what was that, 12? So now there's 10 results. Uh, I'm eating some time tomorrow. There's 10 results where it's Hades is translated hell. Real quickly, uh, 11.23, uh, Now Capernaum, which are exalted in the heavens, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which you had done there uh, in thee have been done in Sodom, would remain to this day. Brought down to hell. 86 is Hades. Uh, Matthew 16.18, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Um, and do you see how hell is now talked about like something that has something? Not just a place, but a, a place with features. Gates. Now maybe it's metaphorical, maybe it means authority, maybe it means all that, I don't know, but it's worth looking at. Uh, Luke 10, and now Capernaum exalted heaven will be thrust down to hell, that's the Luke version of Matthew. Luke 16, 23, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And that's the parable of the uh, last. And seeing this before they spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption, or not left in Hades. And then we have three coming into Revelation. One eighteen. I am he that lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death, or of Hades and death. Revelation 6, 8, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. What? Now, I understand it's apocalyptic prophecy, and it's symbolic, but this use of hell was following a guy on a horse. I don't even know how that applies to Hades either, to tell you the truth. But, you know, uh, anyway. And then last one, 20, uh, 13 and 14. There's two instances here. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. What? It's just worth looking at, right? Thinking about it a little differently. And death and hell gave up the, the dead were in them. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the most confusing two passages of Scripture about the nature of hell anywhere in the King James Bible. Now, it's simpler when it's death and Hades in uh, New American Standard and that death and Hades were then cast into the lake of fire or death and the grave were cast into the lake of fire. But anyway, it's worth looking at. Now, let me back up. There's one more instance, and it's this one, Dan. So there's only three in the New Testament. It's the Second Peter one, uh, and this is Tartarus or Tartarus or whatever. And it's, uh, uh, for if God spared not the angels that sinned to cast them down to hell, says in, the, in there, but it, the word is Tartarus, 
and delivered him into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. Now, Tartarus was, my understanding is pretty basic about it, but it was drawn from Greek mythology in the underworld. And so that's where we're going to look. So here's some rough definitions. Hinnom is a valley, notorious in the days of the prophets of Israel for idolatrous sacrifice and even child sacrifice. Gehenna is the valley of the son of Hinnom, and I believe it's located to the south and west of Jerusalem. I could be wrong on that. And it's a place of refuge disposal in the time of Jesus. It had a bad historic reputation, and it was a symbol of punishment and stuff like that. In the Old Testament, Sheol fundamentally meant the grave, but it was a bigger concept. It was about being locked into the whole thing. And it is associated with death or the threat of death, something like that. In the New Testament, Hades is the grave, the netherworld, or the place of the dead. And uh, Taru is one instance there in Peter. So what I just showed you was 100% of the scriptures in the New Testament that are translated hell. 100%. Now, honestly, there are other concepts, like the lake of fire is mentioned like three times. Uh, there's outer darkness that's mentioned a couple of times. All these things get lumped into hell. There's uh, being delivered over to the tormentors. That one's a rough one to associate with hell in the normal concept because you stay there until and you get out. But really, that's about it. There's like three or four more references to hell. And um, and then there's a where did Jesus go after the cross when we went to teach. So, like I say, it's an introduction. But I want you to understand that we're going to look, and we can look, and we can feel comfortable looking at every single thing the Bible says about it. It's not that complicated. I mean, it's not that enormous. I know I made it complicated tonight. but. 